0: We began a series several weeks ago on the work of the Holy Spirit. And two weeks ago, we talked about the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. And that was really the first part of a two-part message that we're going to finish up today. So I just want to remind you of two key points that we talked about um, two weeks ago regarding the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. What was the Holy Spirit up to before... Pentecost. Before the life of Jesus, before the Holy Spirit descended at Pentecost, what was he up to? There were two things that we talked about. Of course, there are many, many more things, Um, but the first one was this. The Holy Spirit was active in creation. We read all the way back in the very beginning how the Holy Spirit was hovering over the waters. The Holy Spirit was bringing order out of chaos the Holy Spirit was active in creation and the second thing that we looked at was the Holy Spirit was intentional in revelation uh, that the the Bible that we hold today he was actively inspiring amongst those who wrote it down Moses beginning with the first five books of the Bible and then of course the prophets, kings uh, who came after him here's the one point that we're going to talk about today in many different ways. This is the main idea today. What was the Holy Spirit doing in the Old Testament? The Holy Spirit was working in people. More than anything else, the Holy Spirit was working in people. The first way we see that, and I'm going to cover a lot of ground this morning. Uh, So the first way we see that is that he gifted individuals For service. I'm going to give you some references. You don't necessarily have to turn to all of these. There'll be a big one that we look at later on uh, together, but I would encourage you, if you're taking notes, to write some of these down. Um, First one is Exodus chapter 31, verses 1 to 5. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called my name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him, watch. With the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood to work in every craft. So the Holy Spirit gifted some in the Old Testament period of time. For specific service, the Holy Spirit gifted some with, with the ability to be an artist, with others to be a craftsman. And, and also, here's where else we see the, this in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit was upon, now watch, this is an important word. Um, in Samuel chapter 16, verse 13, we read, Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon who? Who are we talking about? Who are we reading about here? Reading about David. So, the second thing that we read in the Old Testament, the way that the Holy Spirit worked in people, was he came upon certain individuals, equipping them for leadership. So, again, Samuel 16 13, then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord, watch, rushed upon David rushed upon David from that day forward, and Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. The Holy Spirit was upon David, he was upon Saul before him, we read. The Holy Spirit was upon the priest Zechariah in 2 Chronicles 24, verse 20. Why? These were individuals that, are, that were set aside for some God-given purpose. And when God, watch, this is so important for you and I today. As followers of Jesus, when God wants something done, God always equips with the power to accomplish it. That's true in your life and in my life as well. It's not just true for the kings of the Old Testament. If God calls you to something, if there's something that aligns with the purposes of God, then God will give you the power to accomplish that. We see that in the life of David. God's desire today in our day is what? Namely, that the nations will hear the good news about Jesus. So is God going to equip and empower his people toward that end? 100%. Absolutely is. And he has provided that power, how? In the Holy Spirit that now dwells inside you and I. Okay, so that he gifted individuals for service. That's A. B, he came upon certain individuals, equipping them for leadership. How else was he working in people? C, the Holy Spirit filled some people with boldness to declare justice. Now, when you read through the Old Testament and you come upon a phrase that says, and the Holy Spirit was upon him, you see different things happening. One of the things that you see happen Micah chapter 3, verse 8, but as for me, I am filled with power with the Spirit of the Lord. Why? For justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and Israel his sin. So the Holy Spirit came upon some people with boldness to declare justice. The Spirit gives courage. The Spirit gives courage to those who trust in the Lord to speak up and stand out against injustice. He did this in the prophets. You read all through the Old Testament when the Spirit of the Lord came upon people. You read this in the New Testament. One of the main things that happens after the Spirit of the Lord comes upon somebody is they speak with, do you know the word? Boldness. And they in the New Testament, they boldly testified about Jesus. In the Old Testament, boldness to declare justice. So the Holy Spirit came upon certain prophets. And one of the first things they would do is boldly proclaim about the sin of the people Uh, And, beloved, the same Spirit of God dwells in you and I, doesn't he? The Spirit of God is in you now. So there's responsibility just to the life of a believer. There's a prophetic edge to the ministry that we all have to declare justice, to speak out against injustice, to stand up for King Jesus, and we're empowered by his Spirit to speak out against injustice. But what does that mean in our day and age? Because, can I just be pastoral with you for a moment? One of the great crimes of this century is that justice has become a political term instead of a spiritual term. Justice is not a red issue or a blue issue, it's a God issue. So what is justice? So, I'll just give you one question to sort of ask of yourself that, that, that has helped me think about this term. Because it is a... I mean, the devil, I believe, is having a field day when he can divide believers, Christ followers, over this one word that is near and dear to the heart of God, the word justice. So let's just reframe it in this, in this question. It's not a perfect question. All right, but look, just ask this question to help you wrap your mind around justice in certain situations. What would it look like? Justice answers this question. What would it look like if God got his way in this situation? See, I approach life, I approach situations asking the question, what would it look like if God got his way in this situation? The answer to that is justice. It is closely related to the term righteousness in the Old Testament. So what is justice? It's what aligns with the values and the heart of God. So what would so let, me give an, let me give you an example of this. Today, today, in the state of Georgia, there were over 7,700 children in foster homes, many of whom are waiting for forever families. Is that a justice issue? If it's not, then I don't believe in justice. And neither do you. Is that near and dear to the heart of God? What would it look like if God got his way in the lives of children who don't have families? That's a justice issue. Is the right to life and abortion a justice issue? Is it? It's not a rhetorical question. 100% is it a justice issue when God willing women or even young girls in some cases who find themselves pregnant decide to keep their babies but then all of a sudden don't have any means to take care of them is that a justice issue yes because what would it look like if God got his way I'll tell you what it would look like The people of God coming around a young woman and saying, we're going to help you. We're going to be a family for you when you don't have family. It's a justice issue. Justice is not just. Watch me. Because we are being lied to. We're being lied to by people on the right and people on the left that will say this is justice or this is justice. But ladies and gentlemen, this declares to us what justice is. The heart of God, and that is what the people of God, we need to pursue. So in the Old Testament, you see it. They would bolt, the prophets would stand up, and they'd look at their own people and say, Thus says the Lord, you guys are acting like like sinners. They proclaim outside the nation of Israel. You guys are acting like pagans that don't even believe there is a God. Then they'd turn back to their own people and say, You guys are acting just like pagans that don't believe there is a God. So what would it look like if God got his way in this situation? The book of Hebrews 1 says, Long ago, and many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But verse 2 is so incredible. I love Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his... What's the word? Say it with authority. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his... So all of this, the Old Testament that we're talking about here, uh, uh, the, the way the Holy Spirit worked, coming upon the prophets, coming upon the priests, coming upon kings, is a picture of how the Holy Spirit would in fullness come upon who? The Son. We just declared that together. Jesus declaring in the fullness the authority of God. That he would come upon him in fullness. And the whole book of Hebrews is about this very thing. That Jesus is, if there's one word that you would use to describe the book of Hebrews, if you've read it, it would be Jesus is what? Come on. He's better. Jesus is better. Better than what? Better than the Old Testament prophets. Better than the Old Testament priests. Better than attack. Better than all of these things. Not only did he just come upon people, but here's the next point. The Holy Spirit was the catalyst for regeneration. He's working among people. How is he working among people in the Old Testament? And This is, I believe, the most confusing point about the Holy Spirit's work in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit was working amongst people for regeneration. And I want to spend the bulk of our time here this morning because I do think this is probably where there is the greatest degree of confusion. If I were, we're not going to do this this morning, but if if this was the assignment, if I said I want everybody to get in groups of 10, we're not, but if I said everybody get in groups of 10, um, and, and here's what I want you to get into groups and discuss. Just one question. You get in your group of 10, and one person asks this question, how were people saved in the Old Testament? Can you imagine the discussion that would take place there? We'd walk away, and we would have learned some things. We'd have disagreed with some things. There would be multiple viewpoints. But this is one of the most misunderstood themes or questions in all of Christianity. How were people regenerated before the cross? How were people regenerated? How did they become new in Jesus before Jesus came and walked upon this earth? Died a substitutionary atoning death for sinners. And so we're gonna talk about this morning. Um, Well, let's try to clear some of that up. So we don't have time to do all of it, but the Old Testament saints, watch me. We're saved by grace through faith, just as every person in this room who is saved was saved by grace through faith. If anybody has ever been saved, it is because they were saved by the grace of God through faith. John chapter 3, verse 3 through 10. I'm going to read this to you. You can can jump over there with me if you will. You know the story if you've been in a part of the church for more than five minutes. This 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 is a big one. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, watch, you know it, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus, the teacher of Israel, says to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the, what's the word? Everyone who is born of the? Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, are, are you are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things, what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying these things should should be clear, especially to a man who is instructing others in matters of faith. Like he's not slamming Nicodemus here, but he's pointing out to us something that even the greatest, the greatest religious minds in all of Israel had forgotten one key, very important truth. How can these things be? And verse 10 is really where we want to lean into and try to understand a little bit of the inflection of Jesus. So he's saying to Nicodemus, You don't understand these things, and you're, you should. You should, Nicodemus, you should know this. Almost like if there's if there's one thing you should know, Nicodemus, as the teacher of Israel. It's how people can be born of the Spirit. And you don't know how people are regenerated. It, it was an watch, it was an understood truth by those who understood truth. Does that make sense to you? If you understand truth, then you would have understood truth this truth but there was a generation of people that no longer understood god's truth romans 8 verses 6 and 8 for to set the mind on the flesh is death but to set the mind on the spirit it's life set the mind on flesh is death set the mind on the spirit it is life and peace But the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Uh, Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So the only way, watch. If you're set on the flesh, you can't make God happy. Can't please God. So the only way, Abraham, David, Moses, Deborah, Noah, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Aaron, Adam, Abel, Joseph, Ruth, Esther, Daniel could have overcome who they were, born as sinners, hostile to God. Every single person since Adam was born a sinner, hostile to God. Amen? Sin nature. We all have it. All of the prophets, the kings of the Old Testament had it too. They were born sinners with hostility toward God. The only way that could be overcome, according to Romans chapter 8, is the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is the only one who can do that. The only one who can overcome the hostility in our hearts toward Creator God is God's own spirit scripture says that a hostility that we have toward the things of god towards submitting to god towards authority toward the goodness of god and this mistrust of the goodness of god uh, it's there from the very start and so the only way that a person can overcome that is by the very work of god in his life and paul says to the ephesians he says salvation is not by works is it we love to quote that Salvation is not by works, but it is by somebody's work. It's by the work of the Spirit. It's just not by our works is what Paul's saying to us. There's no work that you can effect on your own that would overcome the hostility in your heart towards God. But there is work that the Spirit of God works in you and upon you that begins to break down the hostility in our hearts. And this is where a lot of misunderstanding is as well because in the old testament in the period of time that the old testament was written they followed a lot of the law they made a lot of sacrifices could those things bring a life absolutely not there was no way why because we just read you had to be Jesus look I mean just look at the timeline when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus Is it before he went to the cross or after? It's before he went to the cross. It's early in the book of John. And Jesus looks at Nicodemus and says, Don't you understand how people are born again? What does that mean? That means up until that point, people were being born again, right? Are you with me? How? And Jesus looks at him and says, you got to be born of the Spirit. you got to be born of the Spirit. So Old Testament saints... If they were going to be regenerated, today we call it becoming a Christian. They were going to decide. What does that mean? It means a decision to follow Jesus with our lives, to allow him to be in control. In the Old Testament, they were going to be regenerated, that they were going to be born of the Spirit. That had to be work of the Holy Spirit spirit. So all the good things, all of the law, all of the prophets, that all those things were not to give them salvation. What were they to do? They were to point to Jesus and they were an ethic for the way the people of Israel were to live, but they were still saved by grace through faith. The law did not save them. It's confusing because we, it's easier to believe that after the Ten Commandments were given, that if you follow all of the commandments and you follow all of these laws and you make all of these sacrifices, then you can please God and you too can live in heaven forever. But Jesus blows all of that up in John chapter 3. He says, Nicodemus, you got to be born again. It's before the cross. It's before the resurrection. So for Isaiah to have relationship with God in heaven, he had to be born again. I, 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 this blew my, I'll just be honest, this blew my mind when I began to understand this. Because I felt like Nicodemus. Like, how have you made it this far in life as a follower of Jesus, not understood that people in the Old Testament had to be born again? Jesus proclaims it so clearly in John 2. Three, had to be a work of the Spirit of God because only God can create in a person the desire to follow God. Do you see it? Because nobody's ever wanted that on their own. None of us are good, okay? Right? None of us are good. And the things that are written in the New Testament testify to this that are true in the Old Testament. So the only way that all of these ones that we consider great men and women of the faith overcame their hostility, their animosity is by the work of the Holy Spirit in their life. Why is that? Because we're evil, selfish people. And they were evil, selfish people just like us. And if we had lived, oh, I don't know, 3,000 years ago, we would have still needed the Spirit of God to enable us to trust God. So the only thing that would make a dead watch... The only thing that would make a dead person 3,000 years ago no longer a dead person is the supernatural work of the Spirit of God in them. The most beautiful place that that is demonstrated, I believe, in the Old Testament is Ezekiel chapter 37. So I will ask you to turn over there. It's the passage, and we're going to read this together. It's the passage that deals with the valley of dry bones. And many of us are familiar with this story. And here's what I want you to see. I've gone in, and in a moment, um, you'll see this up on the screen. I've gone in, and um, I've gone back and revealed, I've not changed the word, okay? But I've gone back in and revealed the pronunciation of Let's go ahead and put it up on the screen. We got it, Daniel? Uh, You can see where the word ruach is there. All we've done is revealed the Hebrew word that was there instead of the English word. Um, I've gone back, revealed the original Hebrew word because the way that it reads in most of our translations, it's translated two different ways. You go through the book of Ezekiel, chapter 37, you're gonna find two different words that the word ruach um, doesn't replace. It was the original word. And those two words are breath. And spirit. You read about the breath of God, you read about the spirit of God in this passage. But the, the word here is Ruach, the first word that we studied two weeks ago. We re- read about Ruach two weeks ago. And I, I just want you, because we got to read this with the point. We got to see the point here. And, and the point is that only the spirit of God is able to make dead men live. And that's the case in the Old Testament. We see it in Ezekiel chapter 37. That's the case in the New Testament, that's the case in our day as well. Ruach, the word for spirit. Ruach, the word for the breath of God. And there's a lot of confusion that people, a billion times smarter than I, that understand Hebrew and understand the nuances of the language far better than I do, have translated things, and they've struggled with, just be honest with you, because you can get you can get multiple English translations, lay them all out on the table, where you can go online and pull up a parallel Bible and look at how different translations translate the word breath or translate the word spirit. And sometimes they don't they don't know. Well, we think that one should be spirit, but this one should be breath. So we're just gonna remove some confusion here and say we're just gonna go with the original word for all of it. Everywhere it said ruach in the Hebrew, it says ruach on our Screen. So let's remember that the word ruach, it's for spirit, capital S, spirit, but it's also for the breath of God. And let's just see how God works in Ezekiel as he works through his prophet in this vision that he gave him. Ezekiel chapter 37, starting in verse 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me, Ezekiel says, and he brought me out in the ruach of the Lord. And he set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around the valley, led me around them rather, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, Oh, Lord God, you know. And then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones, Ezekiel, and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. And thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause ruach to enter you, and you shall live, and I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and I will cover your skin, and I will put ruach in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord." So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound. And behold, a great rattling. And the bones came together bone to bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them. And flesh had come upon them. And skin had covered them. But there was no ruach in them. And he said to me, prophesy to the Ruach, prophesy, son of man, and say to the Ruach, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O Ruach, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the Ruach came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet in exceedingly great Ruach, within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. Amen for the word of God. Beloved of God, it is, watch. Here's what we we can understand just by reading this. It is the Spirit of God who brings life and what? And power. Life and power. What does God exhale all the way back in the beginning? God breathed, ruached the breath of life into Adam. What did he breathe? What does the spirit exhale? I got to imagine it's not oxygen like you and I do. I, so I got no answer for that, but I know it's power. So when we read that... that, that That God is telling Ezekiel, prophesy. that, That the ruach, the spirit, the power will come upon people. We're not just talking oxygen here, are we? It's always been the spirit of God who brings life. There is no life if there is no spirit. The Holy Spirit, now watch me, let's try to summarize this a little bit. The Holy Spirit was active in regeneration just as he is today. But there was a difference. And I think that's what we feel. We know there was a difference because, look, we are people who have been changed by the cross of Jesus. Amen? And so we're sitting here this morning saying, but what about the cross of Jesus? Don't we need that? Yes. Desperately, it is the power of God for salvation today. Primarily the difference is that in the Old Testament, he came upon people. Do you see it? You see the difference? He came upon people. It's all about the prepositions here. He came upon people. He did work in them and here's the term in the old testament you read it all through the old testament he did work in them to circumcise their hearts but the prophecy was that one day he would come in people and give them a new heart and a new not just cut away the old but give brand new and they would know his love and walk in obedience to him the way they were designed to all the way back in the garden This is the prophecy. This is the promise to all of the saints in the Old Testament that they would know his love and willingly and joyfully walk in relationship with him. The difference was he came upon them to circumcise their hearts. And now he dwells in us. He tabernacles in us. And the spirit of God lives in men and women all over this room and all over this world today. And Jesus said in Sticking in the same book in John chapter 14. He said, if you love me, you will, you know it? you keep my commandments. Now look, I don't know if I've told you this, but I heard someone say once, we can read that wrong and still read the right words. We can read that as, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Or we're going to read it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Of course we will. Because we love you, Jesus. We we will keep your commandments. We do love you. And I, Jesus says to his followers, I will ask the Father. And he will give you another helper. This next phrase, he will give you another helper to be. With you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him. Watch, for he dwells with you. But do you see it? But he will be what's the word? That's the difference. That's the difference. If you love me, he's looking at his followers, people who love him and know him and walk with him. He says, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it doesn't, it it, it neither sees him nor knows him. He's talking to his friends. He tells them basically that the spirit of God, the ruach of God, it's been upon him, upon them. He looks at the disciples, you, you guys have been out. You, you guys have been doing stuff. The last couple of years, they've not just been hanging out. They, they were on a mission, a kingdom mission together. The ruach of God has been on them. He, he looks at them. He says, you, boys, you've casted out demons before. You know what it takes to do that? Ruach of God. Uh, y- 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 you, you've healed people by the power of God. You've done some stuff. It's been great. You didn't do that on your own. That's God power right there. The Spirit of God has been with you as you've gone out. And I'm quite sure that this would have gone right over their heads at this moment. And even as they went back and contemplated it later, they might not have understood it. Because there are some things in life that you have to experience before you get them. You you with me? There's some things you have to experience before you understand them. There's some... You have to experience forgiveness before you understand the power of forgiveness. And I'm not talking about forgiving someone. I'm talking about you have to be forgiven when you don't deserve it by someone else. It says, I, I, you know, they could hold it against you, but they're like, it's all good. And when someone has forgiven you, you just, oh, I, I get it now. This is one of those things that they, they could hear, but they wouldn't know it until they experienced it. This is one of those things like 51 days after Jesus said this. 51 days. It's important. They'd be like, hey, guys, they'd be standing around together. Hey, guys, you remember that time? Remember that time when Jesus said that if we love him, we're going to keep his commandments? Yeah, yeah, I remember he said that. Do you you remember what he said like a minute later after that? How he said how the spirit, you know, the helper, the one he was going to send, the spirit that's Do you remember, guys, the Spirit of God that showed up yesterday? Because this is 51 days later. And do you know what happened 50 days later? Ladies and gentlemen, unplanned on my part. But it has been 50 days since we celebrated the resurrection today. You know what that's called in a Baptist church? Sunday. You know what that's called everywhere else? Pentecost. Today is Pentecost Sunday. And the disciples, a couple thousand years ago, were looking at each other and say, wow, what happened yesterday is what Jesus talked about 51 days ago to us. 50 days after Jesus came back to life. Pentecost means the 50th. Today is the 50th. It's no accident on God's part that that today is the anniversary of the day everything changed. Because it went from, I will be with you to, I will be in you on this day. I love this. I love this point, church. Jesus made a promise. To those who loved and followed him. And you, my friends, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are walking in the promise. You have experienced the promise of Jesus. You have realized the promise that Jesus 51 days before had made to his followers. Do we grasp how wonderful this is? That what you have experienced, whether you've been a... If you've had a relationship with Jesus for a week, or if you've had a relationship with Jesus for 60 or 70 years, you have experienced in your Christian walk as a follower of Jesus is more magnificent, more wonderful than anything Abraham and Moses ever even dreamed of because he was with them. You think about Daniel being chunked into a pit of hungry lions. You think about David walking out onto a battlefield with some rocks and a sling facing down an army and one giant of a man. You think about Moses with an army of scared Israelites behind him, and an army of angry Egyptians behind them, and a sea in front of them. You think about Elijah, who goes up on the mountain and prays, and fire from heaven falls. You think about Moses again, who goes up on the mountain of God and comes back with hand-written tablets. You think about Solomon, the wisest of men. You think about Deborah, who led the armies of Israel and judged faithfully. You think about Esther, who stood up to a king that was going to wipe out her entire people. You think about all the glorious tales of Gideon, of Samuel, All the glorious things that we have read in the Old Testament. Joseph and Joshua. And not one of them experienced what you have experienced if you're a follower of Jesus. Not one of them. It was a dream for them. It was prophesied to them. You have been washed by the blood of King Jesus if you have followed him this morning. You have been redeemed by his work upon the cross. You have experienced not only God upon you, but day by day the spirit of God is in you. The Holy Spirit was busy in the Old Testament. He was doing stuff, creation, revelation, creating, breathing out scripture that was inspired for us. And and, and he showed us how to live for years and years and years. He's been, but he's always been busy regenerating people, giving them the ability to trust God, and yet what you have is more intimate than that, beloved. What you have is better than that, dear one. And that is a cause for two things. Hear my heart. It's a cause for deep repentance in the church. Because we have collectively ignored the spirit of God, because you don't, you, you do the opposite. We're so scared. We have ignored the spirit of God in us, and it's almost as if we would prefer to live in the Old Testament when He was just with us. What we have is so much better, so it should be a cause for repentance for us to get on our face before our Father. Say, I'm sorry. The gift that you have given is good, and I want to experience all that you have for me. So forgive me, and here's the second thing that it should be cause for. Deep, deep worship for the Emmanuel God. says, I'm with you, and I'm in you from this point Remember what we read? Forever. It's gratitude. It's gratitude. Oh my God, we are thankful for you today. Oh sweet father, we are thankful that you've given us your spirit. So here we we're, we're going to end today differently than we normally do. Just be honest with you, normally at the end of a teaching time right here, we'll all bow our heads and close our eyes. Vernon will come up here. Musicians will come up here. And we'll sing something slow and soft. And I'll say something like what I'm about to say to you, which is if you need to do business with God, now's the time to do business with God. But here's what else I'm going to say to you. One thing that we've seen that the Holy Spirit was up to in the Old Testament was pouring power out in people and upon people. And he does the same thing today. And so if you have a place in your life where you're desperate for the power of God, I'm just going to invite you in a moment when we are all out worshiping Jesus just to come put your need before him. Say, here's the point. Again, I'm just going to encourage us. Let's pray a daring prayer this morning where we don't put words in his mouth and we tell him, this is what I need from you. Will you please come do this, this, and this? But maybe we just say to him, I just need your spirit to do what it is that you want to do in me, in my situation this morning. But come in power on this Pentecost Sunday the way you did before. And let me experience all that you have for me. Hold back nothing from me. You with me? Let's pray together as the worship team comes and leads us. Let's say, a Heavenly Father, on this Pentecost Sunday, we do recognize collectively that, that to, a degree, to a large degree this morning, we have neglected the Spirit of God. And so, Father, we just ask, teach us this morning. May your Spirit not just rest upon us, equipping us for every good work, but Lord, you're in us. Lead us. Teach us. Pour your spirit out afresh on us in our days that we may see whatever it is you want to do in our midst and through us. In the good and the beautiful name of Jesus. And God's people said together, Amen. Amen. Will you stand?